The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC on behalf of Loren McNabb and a vacationing Brett McGarry. This is the Start On Demand. Thanks for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Delivered to you each and every day. The Start is on the air. This week, a modified schedule, of course, as we come off of Terry Fox Day. Lots to talk about, of course, the United States. A deadly weekend, mass shootings, mass murders, terrorism, domestic terrorism, Whichever you want to call it, there are lots of terminologies being thrown around. We go to Washington to get the latest on that, the changes, or maybe the changes that will not happen as a result of these tragedies. Portage in Maine is changing. The BMO, that historic location, the building's not going away, but the Bank of Montreal branch is going from the southeast corner to the northwest corner to 201 Portage. We'll talk to Brent Bellamy about that. What happens to that space? What's the ideal use? for a building that is so specifically built to be a bank hall. What is the future for that iconic Winnipeg building? We'll talk about the future of Winnipeg, the future of Manitoba in terms of inclusion. How do we make our neighbors, our friends, our new neighbors, our new friends feel more included in the celebrations, the celebrations that we hold so dear and near to our hearts? We will also speak with a gentleman who typically needs no introduction, David Phillips, Senior Climatologist with Environment and Climate Change Canada, joins us. If you think it's dry, you're right. We'll tell you how dry as we make our way through this edition of The Start On Demand. Let's get right down to business. Je m'appelle Greg. This is Lorraine. Trying to get cultured it's I difficult like it. um will a weekend of extreme and deadly gun violence lead to change in the united states that's the question many are asking this morning after back-to-back mass shootings so on saturday in the texas border town of el paso a shooter opened fire on a walmart killing 22 people and just a few hours later in dayton ohio another gunman took the lives of nine dozens more were injured now, police have confirmed in both those attacks, assault-style rifles were used, while the gunman in the Texas shooting is believed to have written a hate-filled anti-immigrant manifesto just before the attack. As Global's Reggie Giacchini explains, that had U.S. President Donald Trump calling for change, but not around gun reform. Like so many before him, President Trump stood solemnly before a camera to provide a shoulder for a nation in mourning. We are outraged and sickened by this monstrous evil. Stepping back from the hate-filled speech found in one alleged gunman's online essay. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. But Democrats say the president's own rhetoric has fueled those flames. We are reaping right now what he has sown and what his supporters in Congress have sown. At the White House, Trump pointed the finger of blame away from ideology and towards mental health. We must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who may commit acts of violence. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Even though his own administration has worked to roll back regulations that prevent certain individuals with mental health conditions from buying firearms. 
the reason he did that is it was a top priority of the NRA. That's why he did it, because they were the number one contributor to his campaign. But Washington is in a stalemate over gun reform. The Senate won't entertain House-passed bills for enhanced background checks. Leader McConnell, do the right thing. Call an emergency session. Put the House bill on the floor and it will pass. And the president is now attempting to attach any new gun law to border security, tweeting today, perhaps marrying this legislation with desperately needed immigration reform. He needs to protect us from the hate crimes that basically he is inspiring through his rhetoric, and he needs to pass meaningful uh, gun violence prevention measures. Blaming immigrants for this is simply based on a complete lie. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. But yesterday, Trump mistook Dayton, Ohio for Toledo, Ohio mm-hmm. in his speech and also word in the last oh, 12 to 18 hours that uh, the shooter in Ohio may have had some extreme leftist views and had uh, had posted in social media about that. So extremism, terrorism on both sides of the political spectrum, no matter how you slice it. This is a situation that uh, needs attention. And I think I think we've said this before, but it feels as though this could be a tipping point. I don't know if it'll be a tipping point, though, for any gun reform. I no, think I don't might, think so. I think you might just see more talk about how do we control, what, how does what we're saying influencing the hate that's uh, rising in the U.S. And let's not let's not pretend like we're immune to it either, right? I mean, obviously, we hear some of that talk in our own country. And and another thing that he also raised yesterday, U.S. President Donald Trump, in his address to the nation following those shootings, also pointed a finger at video games, mm-hmm. uh, mentioning that video games uh, celebrate and glorify val- violence. And that, so, that's not untrue, right? But there's also a, that prompted a number of experts to come out and say. That while some studies have shown aggressive behavior has been observed after playing video games, immediately after, there has been no evidence pointing to violent actions. So there's still not that connection between video games and mass shootings, but it's another thing that he's looking at. Again, mental health reform, video games, no gun reform. Yeah, and uh, let's take a look at the the countries that, that play the most video games and their uh, gun incidents, and uh, there's zero comparison. Uh, Reggie Cicchini is in Washington, D.C. It's been quite the weekend in the United States. We'll start our hour there. And Reggie, uh, maybe as uh, of interest to those around the world, North America, I think in particular, uh, not only the actions of uh, these, uh, some people calling them now terrorists in the U.S., uh, the reaction of the American government. What has it been? Well, it depends on what side of the government you're on, because if you are a Democrat, you're simply saying that domestic terrorism is a growing threat and people's words can have consequences, where if you're on the Republican side of the government, you're saying, well, look, that this this gun violence across America, the guns aren't the problem. We need to dive into the issues around the guns, uh, that being, according to the president, mental health and video games. So it's two very different conversations being had about the exact same problem. 
One of the things that they've put in uh, their plan down the road is to talk about, you know, more money for law enforcement. Enforcement. They want to have people investigate these online groups that can sort of help spread this hate, which we know this at least one shooter was uh, a member of that or active member in that community in the sense of his ideology. Is there any talk about gun reform or changes in terms of closing some of the loopholes that might exist at a very simple level, Reggie? Well, look, there's two things uh, about that. No, there is no talk of any kind of gun reform right now, especially in August when all senators and congresspeople are on uh, a month-long recess and it's nearly impossible to get anybody back into Washington in order to kind of change the conversation or at least spark up a new part of that conversation. But the first part of that, about uh, that statement, when you said that, you know, we need to uh, target these people that are online, the FBI has their hands tied when it comes to investigating these kinds of crimes or at least these kinds of threats, because after nine. 11 uh, most of the uh, most of the personnel were directed towards looking at terrorism on a foreign level and domestic terrorism laws haven't really caught up to it yet there's a possible infringement on the first amendment which is the freedom of speech and the FBI can't act on somebody saying something online they have to wait until a, an overt act has been carried out and that's been criminal so the only way the FBI really can get involved is after a crime has been carried out so there are laws that need to be changed inside the US before anything can kind of go forward as to how we're able to actually stop these things before they start. I think when the uh, Homeland uh, Security uh, part of the government was created back after 9-11, they didn't really think about threats from within, and now uh, they're being forced to do so. Uh, El Paso and Dayton, Ohio are on the agenda for President Donald Trump in the next couple of days. Uh, there have been varying reports about how welcome he'll be in one of those communities in particular. Uh, well, yeah, so look, he, he is going to both of those cities right now, and both mayors have said, look, we, we have a duty to be able to accept the president's request when he wants to come uh, to the city. The problem is in somewhere like El Paso that the president's uh, words and the president's uh, Twitter feed have kind of put into a spotlight in a negative way. The people of the city are saying, look, we don't want the president to come here. This is an incident where this possible uh, screed that was found online from the shooter likely had comments that were linked and directed to comments that the president has made in the past, and they say that his presence there is an unwelcomed presence because they're still in mourning and they're still trying to get over the fact that this happened and it has a potential link back to what the president said. So he may be re well received by the local officials who have to uh, receive him there, but it's going to be a difficult moment for him to walk through that town with a number of faces staring at him saying that this all could have been prevented had you not used the words that you've been using for the last four years. Well, there's the suggestion that his condemnation of white supremacy is not matched by his record or the words that he's used in the past. I'm curious, Reggie, you've covered a lot of, unfortunately, mass shootings in the States over the last few years. And, and sadly, I think it's not a stretch to say that there'll be another one down the road that you'll be covering again in the, in the weeks to come, which just seems to be the truth of the way these things go. Is there anything different about what's being talked or suggested in, in this latest shooting that, that is giving anyone hope that there might be some change that could make a difference? No, and I, I don't think anybody's anybody is looking at these situations with any kind of hope because you know if if something didn't change after Sandy Hook, if something didn't change after uh, the LGBT community was targeted or in Orlando, if something didn't change after dozens and dozens of people at a music festival in Las Vegas or at students in Parkland, Florida, if nothing changed after that, nothing is likely going to change after this shooting or after the shooting in Dayton, Ohio. Despite the fact that they appear to be uh, from two different uh, uh, ideological beliefs. 
beliefs uh, from what we're hearing from the FBI. Guns are a problem in America. The president is trying to make this a problem about uh, both mental health and video games. But you have to look broadly on that right now. Something like Japan and South Korea. Video games are uh, a way of life and a way of economics uh, for both of those countries. And with the majority of people playing video games, you don't see mass shootings in Japan and you don't see mass shootings in in, uh, in South Korea. And I think that it is uh, unwise for the president to be trying to link a gun problem to video games. It's the same with mental health. Mental health is not a unique American problem. It is a global problem, yet we do not have uh, a global threat of mass shootings because of mental health in any other part of the world. So is anything going to change after this shooting? Probably not. But I think that there are going to be conversations saying you can't pinpoint two possible ideas uh, for the reason that these shootings are happening. Two more silos being created by this president. First, it was Muslims, immigrants, now people with mental health issues, a community that I fall in. And people who play video game, a community, video games, a community, my kids fall in. So, uh, you know, really broadening, uh, who we're targeting and who the potential suspects in these, in these tragedies are. Reggie, thank you as always for your time on this. Thank you. Portage in Maine. We did, uh, one of our very first shows together, the three of us. Was that Portage in Maine? Mm-hmm. That was in advance of the civic election, the discussion about reopening the intersection to pedestrians, the life, the future, everything surrounding uh, Portage in Maine. We are seeing some very exciting redevelopment at that intersection. Uh, the Richardsons are investing in their courtyard. They've got some amazing public art. 201 Portage, which is where 680 CGOB will be moving to join global uh, television on the 30th floor in a few months. That's exciting. We've got on the other side of of Portage Avenue at 360 Main, 400 Main, the tallest building in Winnipeg being constructed. And then, of course, uh, uh, there's a, a retail complex being built between the two buildings that are there right now. All sorts of exciting things happening. Unfortunately, last week, a little bit of what could be perceived as bad news, if not potentially sad news at Portage in Maine. I think it depends on how you're looking at it, but this is the letter that went out from the regional vice president at the Bank of Montreal to customers of that bank. Uh, it reads in part that they're making some changes and they're excited to announce that next spring, their Winnipeg, Maine and Portage and Hargrave branches will be relocating to 201 Portage. So that is currently the tallest building uh, in Winnipeg. And that means that that old iconic building that we all know as the home to Bank of Montreal will no longer serve as a bank. The letter says BMO has been a proud member of the Winnipeg community since 1877. In 1910 and 1987, we moved into our Winnipeg, Maine and Portage branches, and it has been our pleasure to serve our customers from these locations. We also recognize the historical significance of the Winnipeg, Maine building, and they understand the building has become an icon in our vibrant community, and they're assuring the community that decisions about the building's future will be handled with the utmost care. Brent Bellamy joins us now. He's an architect. He's on uh, the chair of the Center Venture Board, uh, along with uh, he's a columnist, commentator on these sorts of things. Do those words from the Bank of Montreal, Brent, uh, ease your ease your uh, uneasiness? <laughs> I guess that's the simple way to put it about uh, th- this news. You know, when I first heard the news, it was definitely oh, that's really a shame. It's sort of the end of an era. Um, but the more I think about it, there is a lot of good news in the story. I mean, Bank of Montreal is committed to Portage and Maine still. They're moving across the street. Um, they're ex- they're expanding. 
And it will be really great to see the ground floor of 201 Portage finally be developed. You know, it's been a blank wall on Portage Avenue for a long time. So there is positive to it. But if you think about how easy it is to redevelop 130-year-old banking halls, it's it gives me some worry. Just a few doors down, now the Bank of Commerce has been sitting there empty for almost 40 years. And, and it's you know, it, it hosts weddings and things like that occasionally, but it really is underused. It, and they're, they're purpose-built buildings, so it's very hard to find a, a new use. So really the story needs to, the story will end when we find a new use for it, and hopefully that that is a positive story in the end. In case Winnipeggers are struggling to think of what we're talking about here, we're talking about that beautiful stone concrete structure on the Cordage of Portage of Mainz, has Bank of Montreal across it. It's got these beautiful pillars. It would have been a real standout building and still is now, but uh, thinking 100 years ago, it would have been really making a statement about Winnipeg and the commitment of all the banks in Canada to put their roots down right on that corner. It really is one of Winnipeg's most important heritage buildings. If I mean, just to put it in perspective, that strip of land there between the Union Bank at the bend in Main Street all the way to Portage Main was the most expensive real estate property in North America at the time. It was called Bankers Row, and it was lined with about 20 different banks all the way from, from that corner to Portage and Main. So it was really a phenomenal thing, and this was really the crowning piece. Um, it was designed by a firm called McKim, Mead & White, who were really the pro- most prominent architects in North America at the time. They did. Um, they were from New York City. They did um, a Penn Station, which was considered the most beautiful building in New York when it was built. They did the the Manhattan Library. Um, you know, Greg, people of our vintage will remember the first scene of of Ghostbusters where Bill Murray got <laughs> got <laughs> shot the ghosts. That was that was in that building. A very prominent architect, and and that site was so important that they actually had to bring those that sort of scale of of designer to the city to 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 do their building. So, you know, and all this uh, hand-wringing and, and concern about the future of the building, and and I think you say it quite eloquently, as you often do, the, the story won't really be over in, until the building is repurposed. Can you cite any buildings similar to this that have been repurposed in, in a, shall we say, an acceptable fashion versus, you know, there are all sorts of examples of nightclubs and, and, and restaurant conversions uh, all over, including here in Winnipeg. What would be a suitable use and, and an acceptable use in your mind? You know, it's really difficult because it is a purpose-built building. I look at the Union Bank Tower um, on Main Street that sat empty for 20 years. That was a similar banking hall. It's now a, you know, a culinary school for the Red River College. So I think it will take that sort of kind of creativity to to change um, the use of the building. It does have, you know, I hate to say this, and I said it in the free press, and I'm not going to look at the comment section. I hate to say it, but the barriers at Portage and Main will make it more difficult to redevelop for that kind of use because it doesn't have pedestrian access. It's really an island in the downtown. It's severed from the rest of downtown by those walls. So it does have extra challenges that normal heritage buildings do on on Main Street. In other cities, there's been sort of better redevelopments of those kind of buildings because they do have uh, higher density and more traffic to them. But it will be a struggle for sure, but I hope we can find something great. Well, you talk about the idea that uh, the, the barriers at Portage Main make prevent its possible uses. It even prevents it right now from being... I remember taking a friend down there and she wanted to get her picture in front of it because it is that iconic Winnipeg mm-hmm. look, right? You're at Portage Main and you can't really do that. No. You're either across the street or too close to it. And so that's perhaps part of a bigger conversation that we know we're going to revisit, Brent. But just 
for the clarity for our listeners, the building stays. It's got heritage status. The building doesn't go anywhere. It's yeah. just whether or not it stays empty. For sure. It's it's fully protected to the highest level. So, you know, I've read a lot of people saying, oh, it's going to be demolished, and they're worried about that. It won't be demolished. It's fully protected. It's just a matter of how long it will take to find a new use. And it's great to, to read that BMO is committed to finding a new use and working with the community. They're not just going to drop it on us and say, here you go. Um, maybe something like, um, you know, the archives could move in there or some government um, piece like that that does have a public component to it that will bring people in and people will get to see it for a long time, for, for the first time in a long time because most Winnipeggers have never even been in that building, which is pretty amazing because it's stunning inside. So hopefully a use can be found that actually brings people there and, and get to really appreciate what that building is. Yeah, and it's certainly underutilized right now. I can remember going there with my grandmother back in the day. That was her branch, and, mm-hmm. and we would go downtown, and there'd be 30 tellers or more. You go in there now, and there's three or four, and and uh, it's still a beautiful space, but you can feel how underwhelming and how underutilized the space is. The, the one building that I keep thinking about in Montreal, uh, Brent, I'm going to guess that you've been to Crew Collective and Café, which is a former bank building in old yeah. Montreal yeah. that's been brought back to life in an extraordinary fashion. Uh, it's really a beehive of activity, activity, pardon me for entrepreneurs. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that that might be a, an avenue to pursue. It would, that would be great. And you know, it's out of the box thinking like that, that I think will be the solution in the end, because it, it can't, it's you're right. It's not a banking hall anymore. Banking has totally changed. Um, but it is a really stunning building, and, and there are things happening at Portage Maine, like you say, the new tower going up, the Forks redeveloping its its residential neighborhood. It really becomes a connector between those places, and there is potential in the future for sure, but it will take creative ideas like that. Well, Brent, if anybody can uh, keep this conversation in the public, it'll be you, Brent Bellamy, Creative Director and Architect Number 10, Architecture Group. Thank you for this, as always. We appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Psychology in the City, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb, along with uh, Dr. Rayman, Abdul Rayman, and our friend Katie Curtis from the James Burns Leadership Institute. We've got a full half hour, just about anyway, about 25 minutes with our friends. We're going to talk about inclusivity in our community. And uh, Raymond, you said this uh, out in the green room. We're, we've now been, uh, we're <laughs> feeling uh, the similar pain here yeah. <laughs> now that uh, Donald Trump has, uh, he's already uh, separated immigrants and Muslims yep. as uh, problems in American society. Yep. Now we've set up two more silos of people that we need to be fearful of, yeah. in quotation marks, people who play video games and then the silo I fit into, and that's people dealing with mental illness. Yeah. Um, well, and, that, and that's uh, all of us at some point in time in our lives. Well, right? isn't it? Yeah, right? it's like now all of us are at risk. So, yeah. how do we unpack all this? This this uh, this climate of dissension, this climate of extremism, and now we're talking about domestic terrorism in the United States and the fear of traveling to the United States potentially because of gun violence. So mm. much to unpack there, and I I, I just you're here. We have to talk about it for for ninety seconds yeah. at least, if we can. Well, you know, it's interesting. Our beliefs really govern our behaviors. Like the how, what we think about the world, what we think about people around the world really has an impact on the way that we engage with them and how we feel about them. Um, and when we are not relaying messages that are accurate, that are logical, that are based on science, that are based on basic fact, uh, 
if we're spreading messages that are hateful and discriminatory, we are going to engage with behaviors that are going to lead to that. And that's, you know, so yes, we are going to be talking about gun control, gun control, but we should also be talking about the messages that, le- that leaders offer society um, that help perpetuate these kinds of tragic events. We live in a time where you can go online and access all sorts of information mm-hmm. and help debunk some of the the myths that they get put out there or the stereotypes or the perceptions of all sorts of different groups of people. And also because of online, you can go and find the voice that you want to hear from. You can yeah. go online and say, well, I think this way already. Now I just want to find other people who think like me because that makes me feel better and stronger and smarter. And so this gift, which should be learning and getting yeah. better with our thoughts, sometimes it gets worse because we can go in and find that that silo to live in. Well, we don't like to feel uncomfortable, right? I mean, let's talk about mental health. I mean, most of us don't like to feel uncomfortable. We don't like to feel anxious. So when we're challenged with a belief or a thought that goes against what we believe, that can be a really difficult and you know uncomfortable thing. And so most people would prefer to avoid that and they become complacent and accept what it is that they believe or what they think is right as opposed to reevaluating what our beliefs are about what's appropriate, what's safe, what's not safe. Um, and that's where I think psychology comes in, but I think that's where just good information comes in. It's about so being included. It is, and I think that's exactly where we want to go today in this idea of breaking down those silos mm-hmm. and breaking down fences and barriers to understanding of one another and of sh- being able to share our stories of who we are freely and comfortably and finding common ground as a fo- as opposed to finding places where we are so different. Absolutely. And that and that's exactly like so I'm going to move right into and that's exactly why what we're trying to do with Win Love is so incredibly important. In specific this particular tip the celebrate everything because it puts us all on the same page. It allows us to see all of us as a part of a larger community. It allows us to see ourselves, all of us, as local, as a part of this community that has a stake and has, you know, the right to this community. What do we mean by that? Let's bring in uh, Jane. Katie. 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 Where did I get Jane from? I'm not sure. Hello. Is it from a Jane group? Did I just totally make that all up? (laughs) James. James. See, this is my problem this morning, and I apologize. I'm just getting back. I'm just getting back from vacation, and so I'm just slower all around. Uh, You're in along with... uh, our friend here to talk about the idea of pushing forward a celebration of everything. And with that, perhaps allowing for holidays that would acknowledge more than just the traditional Christian holidays like Christmas and Easter. Let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, yeah, I'm with the James Burns Leadership Institute. I'm with a group of students from across the entire province, from Red River, University of Manitoba, University of Winnipeg, uh, and uh, Brandon and beyond. And we were tasked with finding an organization to work with where we could lend ourselves and hopefully make Winnipeg a better place. They gave us a short timeline. They said, you have a few months, find someone who's doing good work and get on board with them. And that's what led us to the WinLove Project. So how do we how do how do we get that message out? How do we how do we make people more comfortable with who we are? And I guess part of that question is why is it always up to us on the you know to 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 be the proclaimers of you know we want to build this bridge as opposed to being welcoming as a broader community in the first place? Just got a text message here. Mm-hmm. This is an example of the kind of discussion, kind of the comments that you'll hear. If you don't fear Islam, you are either Muslim or un- uninformed. Mm. This is this is this is the type of discussion that you'll hear 
on a regular basis mm-hmm. when we have discussions like the one we're having right now. Well, I invite that person for a conversation. You know, uh, like I said, there's a there's a great deal of misinformation out there. And, and you know, my little boy is actually sitting out there right now who is actually a Muslim. And uh, he's not a very scary guy, you know, mm-hmm. unless it's first thing in the morning he hasn't had his breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you have uh, that in common or he has that in common with, with my children as well. well. So there you go. Well, there you go. And so there's a lot of misinformation out there and fear is a very powerful thing. And if that's, and that's the whole point of this initiative is to start to educate and inform. And the way that we move this message and the science behind it is, is that we can't just rely on information alone. We do have to take action. So in order to shift our feelings, we need to shift our thinking. And that's where this information comes in. That's where our win love tip comes in. But the way we shift information is not just by change, but not just by having discussions, but by actually changing our behaviors. And that's why what we're asking people to do, and that's why we're asking the mayor to is now acknowledge and celebrate. We'd like to actually take the step two is to take this to the province and actually have the days off, right? To have these estate holidays um, with an election coming. We're not sure if that's the best timing, but that's ultimately where we want to go. Um, because, you know, the gentleman or the lady who texted in about Islam is not going to be able to shift their thinking unless they actually are able to join us. Um, you know, come to the mosque, have a discussion with me, uh, you know, go to, you know, uh, temples, go to synagogue, go to talk to people who are different from you or who you perceive to be different from you. One of your points shift that, that information. you wrote in was that racism exists because we have faulty beliefs. So we're getting back yes. to just the, the texture there with what they believe to be about a religion or a faith or a culture. And then that leads to poor behavior. So if you have these inclusion celebrations, it changes those behaviors. You're talking about even uh, acknowledging holidays that we're not cur- currently acknowledging. So give me an example of yeah. one and then how would it work for you in the sense of uh, how would we create time off or is it just about time off for that person within their workplace or actually a holiday for everyone? So so let's review what's happening. And Katie, jump in at any point in time. Um, if we look at the holidays we currently celebrate in our culture... They reflect the culture of a single group of people, okay? And we expect everybody to come on board with that. Now, we say we are a multicultural country. We say we are a multicultural in diversity, and we're not. We might be multi-ethnic, but we are not multicultural. And this step is now to move us towards this thing where we, the holidays that we celebrate, the culture that we have reflects the diversity of who we're at. So, you know, um, at Christmas time. It's, there's like a feel in the air, right? Everybody celebrates Christmas. Everyone's excited. People who don't celebrate Christmas, I don't celebrate Christmas and I kind of get caught up. I want to buy more stuff for some reason. You know, I like the winter time for some reason around that time, but I don't celebrate Christmas, but I'm tied into that because I'm a part of this community. What if we did that for every other holiday? What if like citywide, you know, one of our ideas in this pledge is to have a set of lights up in the city year round that change colors and anytime there is an important holiday that belongs to a community in this city, they turn on. And then people are like, why is that light on? And they ask those questions. Well, it's because it's Vaisakhi or it's Diwali or it's because it's Eid or because it's Rosh Hashanah. And then that sparks the discussion. And along with that, information and education. And then if we move to days off, can you imagine like all of us having that feeling? Like earlier you guys were talking about you know wanting another long weekend. Having more days off actually leads to more productivity. We are overworked as a society. And maybe the holidays that we do have are not reflective of the diversity that we have. Maybe we need to review, like Labor Day, you know, like could that, could we pull in a a more timely and 
representative holiday, you know, we could do that sort of stuff. So that's my idea. Well, we went from a civic holiday this past Monday to three or four years ago, becoming Terry Fox and actually celebrating something, the accomplishments of one individual, but it also accomplishes another thing. And that's to highlight what Canadians have done in terms of cancer research and bracing this individual who's done so much. Katie, well, you're going to take a break right away. But when we start talking about celebrating other things, there are people who are going to push back and say, you're you're trying to take away my celebration. Why, why are you trying to take away Christmas from me? Yes, of course. The war on Christmas. I think Christmas won that war and we can move on to different battles. Well, why don't we talk about that as we return? We'll take a pause. We'll update your weather forecast and uh, more win love talking about inclusivity, talking about the things that yes, make us different, celebrating those differences, but also finding common ground and maybe a level playing field in terms of how we celebrate and look at those things. It's Greg and Loren. Brett's back on Monday. It is the start on 680 CJOB. I'm Craig. She's Loren. Brett McGarry back on Monday. We're talking Tuesday, win. I learned. He's off Monday as well. I'd just like to say that. Really? For accuracy's sake. Okay, so he's back Tuesday. <laughs> Hey, it's holiday time, and More that's golfing. kind of that's kind of what we're talking about, right? It is. Having we're... some time, celebrating our community, and also um, acknowledging that uh, hey, it goes beyond Easter and Christmas for so many of us. And so uh, we're talking about uh, the group behind WinLove.ca, and they've launched a campaign today. Yes, it was live today. Live today. And the idea is to encourage the mayor. You can go online at winlove.ca. You can click a little icon in the top right-hand corner to support a more inclusive Winnipeg. And that's basically a pledge. Walk me through it. It's to get people to support the idea of allowing all sorts of holidays celebrated by different faiths and cultures that's right. to be acknowledged. Now, the interesting thing is that um, most of those holidays will fall like under smaller, like larger umbrellas. So it's not like we're adding a thousand different holidays. It might be like five or six. Um, but having a public acknowledgement of them, you know, at the same level that we would the holidays that we're used to celebrating, like Christmas and Easter. Before we get to actually, I think, a stage where we're actually going to see a government say, yes, you can have these days off for all these different things. You've got some tips about asking your colleagues and friends what holidays they celebrate and then making space for those. And so, uh, Kate, you were talking beforehand about the pushback that you might get from people saying, like, look, uh, I don't want to lose my holiday by giving you your holiday, but that's not what this is about. No, not at all. Uh, there's some really simple things that anybody can do in that you've just as individuals, you can do, you can, you can uh, congratulate people when it is a holiday they're celebrating. You can have an office party. You can ask them what they're doing with their families and listen to them and engage on that level. Your neighbors might have different special days than you have. What Raymond was saying uh, earlier about the the Christmas spirit and that that thing that happens in mid to late December where maybe we stand in line and we're a little bit more patient or we tip a little bit better. Different people feel these things at different times. And if we can connect with people when they're in the spaces, that's going to make a healthier city. That's Katie Curtis with James Burns Leadership Institute, Dr. Raymond Abdul-Rayman uh, with uh, uh, Psychology in the City, Win Love Movement, and so much more. This whole idea of my celebration doesn't have to be at the expense of yours and the other way around. I'm just thinking about how many office places had Donut Day 
on Friday. How many office places have a birthday Mm -hmm. celebration, either when it's actually someone's birthday or once a month they celebrate everyone's birthday Mm -hmm. with cake or something? Couldn't we do something like that in our office space? Like, this is Mm -hmm. the holiday of the month or something similar. Just take one step to acknowledge something that maybe you haven't acknowledged to this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, There is a, there's an apprehension, but the apprehension interestingly doesn't just come from people who aren't from those cultural communities. It actually comes from people who are from those cultural communities. And maybe even a bigger apprehension. Yeah. Like the thing I've been told is you're never going to have, make this happen. You know that, right? Like people of color, people from cultural communities, like, why are you doing this? This is never going to happen. Just let it go. I'm like, mm, no, I'm going to give this a definitely a hard try. And the good thing is that it's it sparked an interest, and the interest is not just coming from people from cultural communities. And you know, that's where you know we have the partnerships like with Katie and and her team, um, because this is about a community project. These kinds of initiatives don't just positively impact people from cultural communities; they positively impact all of us. And the research actually shows that when we have communities or cities or countries or organizations that are more inclusive, communication between groups of people increases. And what they find is that that is actually very positive for the commu- for, for the economy. So the overall economy of countries and organizations just increases significantly. Productivity on teams increases tenfold when there are when when communities and teams are more inclusive. So why wouldn't we want to be doing this citywide? So the goal is to get the mayor and the province on board eventually, the mayor yes. first, and then mayor maybe first. that starts with just the celebrations. And then down the road, in a perfect world, we might have some actual days off that might be labeled for different uh, events or celebrations. But in the office place, in the schools, are we still struggling to acknowledge so many of these days? And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where we are just on that level. Why couldn't the office be doing better? Why couldn't the school be acknowledging or giving these days? Or does the person of that faith or that culture still have to go to the principal and say, like, look, my kids celebrate this, celebrate Eid. Could they please have Friday off? Yeah, I think that I think that there's a desire to do better, but there's a lack of education. I think people want to get on board largely. The response we've had is very positive. People say, that's that's great. I would love to know about these other holidays, but I don't have the information that I need to do it properly. There's also a fear of saying the wrong thing or offending people. Um, everybody knows how to say Merry Christmas, but we don't know necessarily how to acknowledge all of the other holidays. So um, so there's a desire, but a lack of knowing how to get there. If there's anything we've learned in the last several years of being together, sometimes all you got to do is ask. Yeah. We struggle with your name all the yeah. time, Dr. <laughs> Abdurrahman. We do yeah. our best. Sometimes it's just to ask and just and, keep trying. But you know, it's got like, like you guys do such a great job of that. That's a really good example, right? Like something that might seem foreign or different or difficult at the beginning. Like Brett speaks it better than most Arabic yeah. people that I know, right? We should just uh, get him to record it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> and even the way you say it, right? Like it's, it's just so, and part There's of it is. There's a consciousness. There's a consciousness to at least attempt to say it the, the way it should be said. Right. But it's, it's been said often enough that it's now normal and it's like, there's not, not that anxiety about it. Um, I, this is about creating a social infrastructure, right? And like when you when you come from a marginalized group, you don't have the capability to ask for these things yourself. But when we create those inroads, people are like, oh, the door's open. We can walk through it. So let's open those doors. Winlove.ca, it is the website. You can learn so much more. Get involved. Dr. Abdurrahman, thank you. And Katie, always great to th- see you. Thanks so much for this. Thank you. What's wrong, Loren? Oh, my.
Are you all tangled there? My headphones, my headphones are all tangled up here. I was that's, trapped. That's really trapped. Concerning. Listen, you could be okay. First day back to work after two weeks. There's been a few hiccups. These things happen. They happen. It's the beauty of live radio. It's one of the things we hate and love about it all at the very same time. I'm Greg Schiesler, and Brett's back on Tuesday next. Cjob.com for our question of the day, and uh, the only reason I'm iterating this from Friday is because the results kind of shocked me. Question of the day is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. The question was, will the heat affect your long weekend plans? Your choices were, heck yes, melting already. No way, love the heat. And guess what? Heck yes, melting already won the vote Hmm. with just over 51% of respondents saying that that was the way they were going. That's where we start this hour with the weather. It's been hot. It's been dry. David Phillips, Environment Canada, joins us now. And uh, Mr. Phillips, uh, is this, uh, are we in unprecedented territory? I've heard a lot of people using the word drought. Are we in a drought in Manitoba? Well, you know, Greg, I mean, you'd have to think so. It depends on how far back you look. I mean, we got sort of an, I mean, all the buzz there at the at the beginning of the month was the, the January to June on record that we'd seen in, uh, in parts of Manitoba, particularly in Winnipeg. I mean, my gosh, it was just, uh, uh, it was really drought-like. And then all of a sudden, nature woke up and gave you almost as much rain in two weeks as you'd got in six months. I mean, over 100 millimeters of rain in parts of the city and of course with that summer kind of showers it could be more in your front yard than your backyard but but that certainly pleased farmers and that and then all of a sudden the faucet was turned off because in the last three weeks um, it has absolutely been bone dry in the southern part of the province not so much in the northern part but you've had like a thimble full of rain in Winnipeg in three weeks I mean I, I counted up the drops it was like 2.3 millimeters come on you normally would see 55 so that's a about 4% of what you got. But the other thing that makes it uh, kind of tough, guys, is that you've had some pretty warm days also. I mean, four days in a row with temperatures at or above 32 degrees. And uh, and, and in that uh, three weeks, I think every, uh, that the vast majority of them have been well above normal. So the atmosphere is just sucking all the moisture out, and there's not much moisture to, to give. So it, it clearly is, is feeling dry-like, and, uh, and uh, thank goodness you had that... Uh, that two weeks of monsoonal rains, because otherwise it, it would be clearly crispy. It'd be like walking uh, on on, on uh, Rice Krispies, you know, uh, crackle, snap, and pop, you know, it would be pretty, pretty tough. Well, the grass is pretty hard to walk on these days if you're not watering yeah. it, which most aren't, uh, just because you'd have to go nonstop. The plants are having a harder time. I've heard some yeah. farmers talking over the weekend that, you know, that the crops are good, but boy, it's dry, so everything's uh, maturing a lot earlier than expected. I just want you to revisit those numbers you mentioned. 2.3 millimeters of precipitation has fallen, but normally by this time we would have, is this an August number? number? Well, this is what we, uh, when I looked at from the, uh, Lauren, from, from the middle of July, say August, the, July the 16th to August the 5th, you, that three-week period, expect in uh, Winnipeg to have about 55 millimeters of rain. Well, you've had 
2.3. I mean, it, it, it evaporated before it hit the ground. And um, so that's like about 4%. Now, it wasn't that way in the North. Thompson, for example, had in that same three weeks about 60 millimeters of rain. And also uh, the Churchill was also up there. But uh, so what we've seen is the systems have actually just been avoiding Winnipeg. I mean, there's been a, a, a ridge hanging over the southern part of the province. All the active weather has been going north of you. And anytime there's been some kind of, uh, you think you're going to get some rain, I mean, it just is short-lived, just a little bit, and as they say, it's just enough to keep the dust down, and that's about it. And I know for farmers, I don't know how, how they're reacting, because, you know, they clearly when they're into the uh, the harvest, they don't want rain. They don't want their tractors mired in muck. And so, so you know, in one hand, uh, they, they kind of want the rain, maybe the crops that are still growing, that would be good, but uh, they also want it to be dry, because they don't want that to be uh, uh, to be an issue in terms of stopping the harvest once it gets going, and and you know they probably feel good in the fact that well they could because of the early harvest they could certainly get it going before that risk of frost comes in September. So uh, I think they they're probably of mixed opinions right now. I wanted to ask about the leaves that I saw scattered across my yard, and Greg said he was golfing this weekend, and you, we we saw brown brown leaves, oh. and, and I wanted to blame the dry, and that maybe my yes. my trees just struggling trees are struggling without water. But is there any hint out there of an early? I don't want people screaming at the radio right now, but of an early fall, early winter, because this this made me really pause yesterday when I saw all these leaves on the ground. Well, Lauren, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, just because you've had, um, you know, an abundant amount of summery like weather in the last three weeks doesn't mean that, hey, it's going to be all over. I mean, it could very well be what you see is what you're going to continue to get. And I look over the next seven days, I see some break in terms of the temperatures, very comfortable, maybe uh, one or two degrees above normal or one or two degrees below. So kind of almost Goldilocks, not too hot, not too cold, but, but dry, 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 lots of sunshine. So I think that uh, that's a, a bit of an issue. And then we might see some wildfires. I mean, that's always an issue. And in, in, uh, you get to this time of the of the year, if it, can, it continues to be so dry. Our models are saying it's sort of a little uncertain. We think it could be a little warmer than normal or near normal. But uh, precipitation uh, seems like out, uh, further west in Saskatchewan, they're looking at more precipitation and also in northern Ontario. But Manitoba looks like it's in between that. So my sense is, hey, if you're not sure what the weather's going to be, then just uh, bet on what you see. Uh, look out your window, and that's probably what it's going to continue to be. Uh, the exact opposite. A lot of pe- people say in other places, if you don't like the weather now, wait a minute, it'll change. It hasn't been changing very much at all. No. David Phillips, you are an icon in this country. Thanks for making some time for us, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada. Uh, we always appreciate your time, David. Thank you. Thank you, guys, so much. Bye-bye now. I was talking to my buddies out west and that grew up in Manitoba, one of my buddies in Calgary and my other friend in uh, in the Okanagan Valley. And it's like, really, when you're talking to them about summer, guys, it's been one of those summers you remember from when you were a kid. Like, these, this has like been a classic Manitoba summer in a lot of aspects. When I said at 6 o'clock that I fell in love with Manitoba all over again, I think the weather is a big part of that because every day has been a beauty. Absolutely, it has. And... Obviously, it depends on your point of view sure. and, and uh, how much of your living you de- you depend on rain. If that's the case, probably not a big deal.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.